hope you are doing so well. Welcome back to my podcast. I'm Emily, a certified personal trainer, optimal living coach, and a human being just trying to live as wild as possible in this current reality that we are all a part of. I'm so excited to release this conversation I had with Kim Baba. We had a previous conversation on episode six. Kim is such an intelligent human being about female health and all things related to females training and ways that they change throughout their lifestyle. So I always love having conversations with her. We do start the podcast off with about uh, 30 minutes of talking about the Enneagram, which is something that she's also so passionate about. And I had no idea about that passion of hers, but it's such an interesting concept. Do you do anything with the Enneagram? I looked into it a while ago, but I don't remember exactly which, you know, ones I was, but I think it's an interesting way of looking at components of your personality and components of the way you are and react in just, you know, this form of you. And I'm sure that it changes throughout your life, but if you are interested in the Enneagram, start the podcast from the beginning. If you're more interested in just the concepts we talk about as far as female health, look in the description below and I will have the timestamps for all of those things. I hope you are doing so wonderful. It has snowed a lot the past couple days in Washington, so I haven't been able to leave my house, which I was a little feeling interesting about because I had a bunch of plans for this weekend that got changed but I do trust divine timing of the universe and I know that everything happens for a reason I had taken a couple I took last week off of spending energy on my personal business as I'm transitioning I did quit my full-time position and I'm spending all of my energy now on creating my business, my website, and all of the things that I'm so excited to share with you once I have everything come to fruition and really just encompass all of these areas and interests of mine into what I want to present and how I want to help people heal and how I want to help people become more optimal. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do and you know somebody that would gain something from listening to it, please share it with them. Follow me on Instagram at livingwild.me where you can stay up to date on all of my latest podcasts or adventures that I'm going on. Without further ado, my podcast with Kimberly Baba. I'm so excited to be back with Kim for our second episode. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. (laughs) So in our first episode, which was episode six, we talk about the cycle, optimizing your training, your hormones, your eating, and just all aspects that deal with the woman's cycle and just tapping into the power that you can have with that. So if you haven't listened to that episode first, go back to episode six if you're more interested in that. So I'm so excited for this conversation today. We're going to dive more into different changes that the female goes through in her lifetime, just education about female health, girls in sports, how we can heal from previous experiences with eating and overtraining, and we'll just see where this conversation takes us. But first, we were just having a conversation about the Enneagram, and so I would love to chat a little bit about that. Yeah, I love the Enneagram, totally obsessed. Disclaimer, I am not like a licensed Enneagram coach. (laughs) Okay, or anything like that. However, I've listened to a couple different books. My family's obsessed with it, and uh, 
we all know each other's types and it's so fun because it also is like a great uh, growth tool because you just learn so much about yourself and then you once you also know somebody else's number mm-hmm. on the Enneagram, you know what their core fear is and what their basic desire is. And you immediately can understand somebody just at a deeper, better level. Yeah, it's a different way of showing. So what's the basic needs? Okay, so each number, so there's nine different main types. Okay. So each number is going to have their own basic fear and basic desire. Okay. So, um, I, for example, I'm a seven. And they're labeled the enthusiast. And my basic fear is to be in pain or to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And my basic desire is to be fulfilled and content and without need. And so that is going to be a driving force for everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so each number is going to have a different one. And uh, a big mistake that people make with the Enneagram is they try to base... Uh, what number they are, they base it off of uh, behavior instead of the core fear and desire. Because you and I can act and do the same thing, but there's different motivations behind it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So um, each number will wing down or up one. So mm-hmm. I'm a seven wing eight. And I you could be a seven wing six. I can't be like a seven wing five or seven, seven wing oh, okay. nine. You only go out, down up down or up one. Hmm, okay. So the number one is the perfectionist. And their basic uh, fear is to be evil. And their basic desire is to is to be good. And so, like, their mm. whole motivation is just, I have to be good. I have to do what's right. I do not want to be evil. Okay. And so if you know a perfectionist. I'm not that. <laughs> <laughs> so I know. I have. My brother-in-law and my sister-in-law are both perfectionists. They're both ones. Okay. And I, like, my heart goes out to ones because they are their biggest critics. Mm -hmm. They're big. I mean, they actually, no other number has this. They have, like, this inner voice in this, uh kind of dialogue with themselves that's almost just, like, like that little evil devil on your shoulder telling you that you're bad. And so they are just so cri- – they come across critical to other people, but it's really because they're critical of themselves, themselves right? Yeah. But those are – that's going to be the one. And they want to do what's right, and they just want – and in, they want to do the right thing. That's so interesting. I yeah. imagine that those people have, like, a deeply rooted, like, this is good, this is bad. Like, really that – not – kind of dualistic view of actions. So, you are correct. Hmm. But it's – it's kind of comp. It's bigger than that. Yeah. So what there are a bunch of different triads in the Enneagram. So you have your gut triad, you have uh, your heart triad, and then you have your brain triad. Oh wow! It's so complicated, <laughs> <laughs> but I love it because yeah. it's like you can really. It's it's deep. So uh, eights, nines, and ones are part of part of the gut triad. Mm, okay. And so, since ones are part of the gut triad, kind of what you're saying is like it's just in their they feel it in their gut. This is right. Mm. There is this is wrong. There is no in between. They feel it. There is no sort of logic that could convince them otherwise. Oh, interesting. Because it's a gut thing for them. Yeah. And yes, they see things in black and white. There is no gray. Hmm. Um. So they can either wing down to the one. Or they can wing up to the two. Okay. So the two, and, and that makes very different personalities. And what's what's really interesting, too, is oftentimes numbers that are next to each other 
you would think they're complete opposites. So you're like, how could they wing to each other? And it can totally change someone's personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the two is the helper. Okay. And so uh, they they want to be needed. They need to be needed. And oftentimes, like, you would stereotypically see this, like, in a mother, like, who is always doing everything. Because um, they, they they get their value and their worth in, in, in being needed. Mm-hmm. And their biggest fear is that they're just not needed. Interesting. And so this is the person that's going to be come, come to a party and is going to look around and try to help immediately. Mm-hmm. And then without being asked. And then when no one gives them credit, they're going to be really upset. <laughs> like they, they they want credit they're gonna announce what they did to help everybody because they secretly want like recognition and they yeah. want to feel like they they were needed and you saved us oh my god thank god you came what would we have done without you like that's gonna be the two and of course there's like so there's also different levels of health okay there's gonna be like nine different levels of health and so if you're like the lowest health like you are just acting out like crazy and then you can get up to like the highest levels of health and you are going to actually, the healthier you get, the more you start to look like other numbers. Okay. So if you're like super duper healthy, it's like, what can't quite tell what number they are because they're going to look like you embody all of the, yes. And you can, your personality, it can like ebb and flow. Yes. You, you, cause we all have all of those aspects in us. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Exactly. So then the two can wing to the one. So a two wing one would be, look like a helper who's a perfectionist. Oh, man. It, oh, <laughs> two wing ones. I, I, do, I, have, I have two different people in my life. I, you're not supposed to type other people. Yeah. I secretly do so in my head. I know that's, like, against, like, the sacred Enneagram books, and I'm sorry. Okay. But, like, I do it. So I have two friends in my life who are two wing ones. One is a little healthier than the other, but it is rough. Yeah. Because they want to meet, they, they do everything for me, and I hate it when people do things for me, and then they want it to be done perfectly, and I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. So, they're lovely people, but if they're unhealthy, oof, that's a rough number for me. Yes. Anyway, so then they can also wing to the three. Okay. So, the three is the achiever, or mm. the performer. Okay. Three's uh, biggest fear is uh, that they're going to be uh, not of any value they they oftentimes my boyfriend's a three wing too and uh they they put on a show mm. what they think people would want mm. to be loved because they're 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 afraid that people aren't going to love them for their true selves and so they they are called the achievers or the performers because they're really high performers and oftentimes like in childhood they were praised for doing well and mm. so then they just wanted to do well because that reciprocal right because now they're getting positive reinforcement positive reinforcement wow right and so they're going to be high achievers they're going to read rooms really well they're going to be able to like make friends with literally everybody they're always mm-hmm. on the go always achieving but they're never really the, their true selves because they're oh, afraid that people aren't going to like love them for being just them I feel like that's my shadow work right there. <laughs> the achievers, my yeah. shadow. Yeah, so, and that's the other thing, too, about the Enneagram. I was going to say, tests don't really work out that well. Yeah. Because they're often asking about behavior. And you need to just read each description and decide for yourself which one you, like, really resonate with. Mm, okay. Because, like, oh, wow, like, this is me. Is there a specific test? You Can you go on the Enneagram I like to go or? to the Enneagram Institute.com. Okay. 
Okay. Enneagraminstitute.com is like, like where I go for everything. Perfect. They've got all the stress arrows of growth and stress. Mm, okay. And like you can look and see like what numbers are like with other numbers in a work setting or like oh. in a romantic relationship. And like if you're having struggle with a certain person, you can kind of understand. Like I said, it's a growth thing. You can understand that person better. Yes. And improve your relationship. That's so good. Yeah. So three is the achiever. Three is the achiever. Okay. So then four is the individualist. Mm -hmm. Four's biggest uh, desire is to be unique, to be special. Mm -hmm. This is the person that, like, if you talk to, if, if you come to that, if they come to you with, oh, I just did this cool thing, and you said, oh, I've done that too, they would like, no, you haven't. Like, they want to be, like, unique and special and have an experience that, like, is only special to them. So they really don't like reading about themselves and finding out that there's other fours. Like, oftentimes, if, if I was a four and I met you, you said you were a four, I'd be like, mm, she's probably not actually a four. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and they all feel that way because they yeah. want to be special. Yeah. They want to be so, and, and they want to be the only ones and unique and just have that feeling. That's their biggest core desire hmm. uh, and fear. Uh, and I have a couple, my sister-in-law, my other sister-in-law is a four. They tend to be really creative. Okay. Fours tend to be really, like, artistic and musical, like, have a huge creative outlet inside. They also mm-hmm. love to be moody. This is a big stereotype, but it's also very true. They love to be melancholy and, woe is me. Like, th- no, this nothing like this has ever happened to anyone before. It's just me, kind of that special thing again, like... No one's ever gone through what I've gone through. If yeah. only they knew. Oh, no. And you try to cheer them up. They don't want to be cheered up. Hmm. So, uh, That's interesting. That's yeah. That's an interesting one. So, reading about a fours, I was like, oof, I do not like fours. But then, yeah. I actually have two fours in my life, and I love them. Yeah. So, it just depends on, like, there's also... I don't want to get too complicated here, but there's also subtypes. You have self-preservation, you have one-to-one, and then you have the social subtype. And those are going to be different. So I am a self-preservation seven-wing eight. So uh, self-preservation fours are actually called sunny fours. Each number has a counter-type subtype. So, yeah, I know. It's so good. It's so deep. So This is great. So the self-preservation four is the counter-type for fours because they come across as really sunny. Okay. And that's just the counter type, but like deep down, like they love that no one knows how much their misery inside. Oh man! <laughs> yeah. So that's, the, that's a four, and then the five is the intellectualist. Okay. So five's uh, biggest fear is to not be competent, mm. and so they research, they know about everything mm. because they don't want to be incompetent. That's their biggest fear. So they know a ton of stuff about a ton of different topics mm. because they do not want to be incompetent. That's their biggest desire is to, to not be incompetent or to, to be competent. And so yeah, they tend to – they can be kind of reclusive sometimes, um, but they can still be extroverts. But they just oftentimes have lots of different friends in lots of different circles. And oh, they nice. would never actually – like if I was a five, I would have all these different hobbies. You wouldn't know about, about them at all. You might be a part oh. of my cribbage hobby and have no idea that I'm really into snowboarding. Okay. So they just kind of keep them separate. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, the the, fi- the five is going to be pretty intellectual. The, what's to, it called? The, the intellectualist. Okay. Yeah. They, they would love to – or the researcher. Okay. So they love to – they just love to research um, – Oops. <laughs> Little kitty. <laughs> anyway, so, the, yeah, that's the five. Okay. And um, the stereotypical five is they can come across a little abrasive sometimes because they want to be right. 
And so, like, if you're, like, debating with a five, good luck. Because <laughs> they want to be right. Yeah. And they don't want to, they want to be wrong. And they're going to be upset if, but they also want it to be competent, right? It's mainly, yeah. it's not about right or wrong, but they just want, they don't want to be incompetent when you're arguing with them. Interesting. Yeah. And then there's the six, who's the loyalist. Okay. And my twin sister is a six. And uh, the sixes are the most loyal on the Enneagram. You won't find anyone loyal. Eights are also really loyal, but sixes are the most. And so, like, it's awesome to have a six. But sixes are also uh, super, like, fear-based. They are, so, they are terrified of the worst-case scenario happening. Oh, interesting. Terrified. And so they are constantly looking for the worst-case scenario and preparing for it. Mm. Constantly. My sister, have you seen the meme, like, the paranoid parrot? Yeah. My sister calls herself the paranoid parrot. <laughs> Because <laughs> she's always, she's just paranoid that, like, someone's going to be in the shower. So yeah. she doesn't, like, oh move the shower gosh. curtain back. But they are so loyal, very prepared. They might come across as helicopter parents if they're unhealthy, mm-hmm. right? Because they're constantly, like, seeing their the worst-case scenario play out with their kids. So when you were saying the healthy versus unhealthy, so if you were a six, you you could be a six, like, one to nine level with the health versus unhealthy. You could, yeah, you could be a healthy six. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be a level one of a healthy six. Okay. And, and, and not be so paranoid. Mm. Or you could be a level nine and not let your child leave your side. Okay. And so, like, there's just different levels of health. Mm. So, like, one, two, and three would be the healthiest. Uh, four, five, and six would be the average. And then seven, eight, nine would be the lowest levels of health. Okay. Uh, so yeah, and then sixes tend to also be really insecure, um, and so they have to really work, they, they will ask all of their friends what they think they should do, um, because they're just, they're, they're insecure, they don't trust themselves, but in healthy levels, they, um, are super funny, self-deprecating humor, Mm. and so loyal, and then trust themselves, and they're confident, Mm. Um, and then, yeah, so then there's the seven, myself, mm-hmm. which I kind of already told you about before, which is our biggest fear is to be in pain or to be What's the name of the set of seven? The enthusiast. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we, the enthusiast tends to have tons of energy. Mm-hmm. They brighten up your room. They always seem like they're in a good mood. They always seem like they're doing something so fun. They're always chasing after that next adventure, mm-hmm. but they don't spend any time in what they would call negative emotions. They don't spend time being sad. They don't spend time being angry. They don't spend time, you know, being upset. They just, they don't even want to feel those emotions. So they just do things that make them happy. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so they, they tend to be super fun people that everybody wants around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then if a seven's upset, everybody's upset. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's, it, can, it can kind of be exhausting for a seven because they feel like they have to be the fun ones. Yeah. Because everyone's kind of relying on them. Mm-hmm. They also, in lower levels of health, they, they tend to be non-committal. And they, like, maybe I'll go to that, but if something better comes up, I'm going to go to that. Okay. And so they tend to be noncommittal in plans and relationships. They love to just travel. They love trying new things. A big part, uh, it's funny, I've read a lot of books and listened to podcasts. Some stereotypes would be like, they would never order the same thing on a menu. If you're at a restaurant, they will always order something new because they're always looking for that next adventure. But I actually, as a seven, I don't relate to that. Yeah. Because... I don't want to order something and be upset that I got something I didn't like. So if I find something I like, 
I'm going to get that. I get that every single time because I know I'll be happy with that. There you go. And I'm like, I don't want to order something being so bummed out that I just spent $20 on something I hate. Yes. So that's the kind of, to help you understand, like, the mind of a seven. It's just like, I don't want to be sad. So I'm going to order something I know makes me happy. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, and like I said, the sevens go to five in growth. Mm -hmm. So sevens also, I know a lot more about the seven, obviously, because it's it's me. But sevens will, in growth, go to the five. And so I... Uh, can totally see that playing out of like in like my studies with women's like hormones and menopause and the, the period and the cycle like sevens will dive into that research and then tell everyone about it yes because they're so enthusiastic about it perfect right exactly so like they can go to five and do all that research and in something that they're passionate about and then in stress uh Seven, so in, in growth, sevens go to five. And then why am I blanking on stress? Where do I go in stress? I can't remember. It'll come to me. <laughs> oh, one. Seven goes, seven goes to one in stress. So I become a perfectionist. Remember they? Oh, yeah. And so like I have to get everything done. Like I can't move on to my next thing until this thing is perfect. Mm. Sevens go to one in stress. Interesting. Which is so weird because sevens and ones actually can be kind of critical of each other. Like ones think sevens are so silly and immature mm-hmm. and aren't serious. And sevens loathe that. And they, and they hate that there's these crazy standards from the one to be always be perfect and just relax and have fun. And so they cannot. But so then the ones in health go to a seven. Yeah, I'm not surprised with that. It's like what... I always think of this, what you don't like in somebody else is what you, what's right. in you that you need to, you know, overcome and realize that's in you too. Totally. You're triggered by something somebody else is doing. So the way that this seems is yes. the same. Like you're a seven, what the one's doing is bothering you because yeah. that's what you go to when you're stressed. <laughs> right. You're, yeah. Exactly. So one's on vacation, total blast because mm-hmm. they go to seven in health. And so they're on vacation. They're, they're not in their home, in their space. They don't feel the need to be perfect anymore. It's mm. almost someone's given them this, like, golden ticket of, like, you don't have to be perfect because you're on vacation. So if you do have a perfectionist friend that you think is a little, up, you know, needs to relax, take them on vacation. Yeah. Because they will be a Get them out of there. Yes. Okay. Yes. What's an eight? So eight is the challenger. Okay. And so, actually, I thought I was an eight-wing seven for a while, for a couple months, until I kept reading and diving into it. Eights biggest fear is to be vulnerable or to be weak mm-hmm. and so eights would be stereotypical person who is really kind of they have a lot of anger in them and they react it seems it comes across as anger to other people the eights don't see it that way oh, they are very direct very strong people mm-hmm. who can intimidate a lot and any female eights out there know this because people they probably get it all the time they're told that they're intimidating. They're told that they're too aggressive. They're told they need to tone it down. And female aides kind of get a bad rap mm-hmm. just because they are really bold and they're leaders. And they're powerful. They're powerful women. Totally. And so um, they make great leaders, but they are afraid of being weak or vulnerable. And oftentimes aides have like a lot of trauma in childhood. And so they, they were abandoned or there was a divorce, somebody died, but they had to, they had to grow up at an early age mm-hmm. and uh, kind of, you know, be the parent and have, be really tough. And so the eights actually uh, go to two in growth, which I find is nice too because they're the helper. The, you know, the two helps a lot of people and eights can be really, really great 
social justice warriors and help people who like AIDS get really, really pissed when injustice happens. And so AIDS like really dive into that. They, if they're healthy, can dive into that side. Uh, so yeah, AIDS kind of get a bad rap for being angry, but they're not, they don't view confrontation as confrontation. Yes. They view confrontation as just a normal conversation. conversation. And they have no idea that the yeah. other person's terrified. <laughs> I see some of me in that. Because I okay. do like... Okay. I, it's interesting that you're talking about him. Because it's like, oh, I find... There's some that I'm like, I could be that or that. Yeah. And then some that I'm like, I don't feel like that's too much of me. Yeah, totally. Um, so there's also... Um, can. Not to complicate even more, there's also tri-types. <laughs> so the the tri-type, my tri-type is seven, eight, and three. I was just, I wrote down three and eight so far. Okay. And I was going to write <laughs> seven. Yeah, the, you know, we might have the same tri-type. Yeah. So uh, the different tri-types would be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So you get to choose a one, two, or three, and then you choose oh. four, five, six, and then choose, no, no, it's two, three, four, and then five, six, seven. It's The tri-type is the... The the gut, they go over the gut, oh, the, yes. the head, and the... Yes, so you'd have one of each. Yes, you have one of each. Oh, so my head, my head type is a seven, my heart type is an eight, and then my, or my gut type is an eight, and then my heart type is a three. Mm, I think we have similar ones. We probably do, but it's a different order. Yeah. It could be different or it could be the same order. Ooh, I'm interested to do my yeah. test and yeah. just look at more about it. And just it. find more out about it. And then the nine is... Oh, the sweetheart person. They are the peacemaker. They hate confrontation <laughs> at all costs. Their biggest desire is to be at peace. Mm-hmm. And so this is the person that everybody loves but infuri- can infuriate you so much because they will never pick a side. And it's really, it seems annoying at, for me, at least at first, when I'm like, why won't they just pick a side like in, in this argument, et cetera, et cetera. But they just have so much empathy that they can genuinely see both sides. Mm. And so, and they do, they just don't want to create a fuss. They don't want to create a fight. This is the person who, like, literally, you go out to eat with them. They, they don't care where you go. Wherever you want to go. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, the, the, the nine hates confrontation, will always just go with the flow. They generally were forgotten about as a kid. The message to them in, in childhood was, your opinion doesn't matter. So, my little brother is a nine. And there's four of us, and me and my twin sister, my older brother, my older brother's an eight, and me and my twin sister, also very opinionated people, and he just was the lowest on the totem pole, and we never cared about his opinion. And so he turned out, of course, to be a nine. And just, and so he's great, but oh my gosh, I complained to him about something, or someone, he just sees their point of view. Like, no, you're supposed to be on my side. <laughs> like, don't see their side. But he can just see all of he it. He sees it all. Yeah. Mm. And so, yeah, they hate confrontation. They just want peace. They're sweethearts. Mm-hmm. So much empathy. But they're also, nines are huge sleepers. If you know someone that sleeps a lot or can just pass out anytime, they're probably a nine. Hmm. Because they, they fall asleep to their anger is what it is. Oh. They never... They don't even know that they feel anger because they just, they block it out. They fall asleep to it. Whereas eights express anger in everything. And then ones suppress their anger because they mm-hmm. view anger as a negative it's not evil. Good. Yeah. It's not good. They've identified so it So there's eight, nine, and one are all part of like this anger triad where, you know, the eights express it in everything. Whether if they're sad, anger. If they feel weak, anger. You know, like, they express everything with anger. And then nines fall asleep to it. They don't even know that they feel it. 
if you were to ask my brother, when's the last time you were angry, he would be like, I don't know, never. Like, he just, he doesn't realize when he's angry, he sleeps. And then the ones, like, suppress it, like, my brother-in-law, like, suppress, like, we're always just like, is he going to explode? <laughs> <laughs> but I've never seen him explode. Oh, no. I'm always like, is it going? Is gone? he going to? Because <laughs> he's just, like, constantly suppressing his anger. Because mm. he just, it's wrong. Yeah. And it's not, you, you cannot change his mind. Wow, that's so interesting. I'm, yeah. it, I loved what you were saying, though, about, because I do think we all have all of those. Right. There, all those aspects of each of the types is in you. It's yes. like finding the balance mm-hmm. of, because I think you'd be not optimal if you were so much one in, like, mm-hmm. none of the other things. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the, I love that. The, the healthier you get, like, the more balanced you get in your wings, because, like, like, I was, I'm a seven wing eight, but then the healthier I get, the more my six wing might come out. Okay. And then the healthier I get, the more I might see all the other numbers. Hmm. So, uh, I recommend reading a book and, or going and reading that on the Enneagram Institute and reading every single number and description and then deciding what you are. I, when I took the test off, everyone tests as a three because a lot of like, uh, Western society holds three in high standards and so like everyone kind of thinks views themselves as a I'm hired you know like yeah oh, I do a lot of things I you know and so a lot of times I so I tested as a three so for a while I thought it was a three it turns out the three's in my triad but that's not my core number okay. then I was like oh I'm I, I relate to the eight wing seven and then the more I read uh the more I realized that no I'm a seven wing eight so it takes months to figure out mm-hmm. your number some are really obvious uh, but then it can take a while. It took me like a few months to figure out that I was a seven wing eight. Hmm. So I don't really recommend testing. I just go, go to the Enneagram Institute, read it, uh, and then see which one is, okay, this one's me. I will do it. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You do know a lot about it. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a kind of quiet little passion of my mind. I love it. And my family, right? So yeah. like it really, I know my, my older brother is an eight and he grew so much listening to the the road back to the road back to me is the book he listened mm. to about the Enneagram and I actually okay. listened to it too and he was like wow like other emotions are important you know because he's oh, an eight yeah. and he's like oh like it is valuable to be emotional and he softened and like our family grew together mm. and it was really awesome so like we just all know each other so well and we all know our numbers and can like kind of have grace and love and acceptance and be like we know why we are the way we are how powerful is that too when you are able to know understand you and then finding those qualities or understanding those qualities in other people yes it's just like all of those self inquisition like tests Mm -hmm. you know you can even look your birth chart and see different signs you are you can look at your love languages yes knowing yours is powerful and then knowing the people that you're close with just like you said, it allows you to have better, like, love and compassion and understanding that yeah. you can't expect somebody to perceive everything how you perceive it. Right. We're all different. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that's my little <laughs> tidbit on the Enneagram. Highly recommend it. Yes. I'm going to for sure go and do some more research on that. Yeah. I mean, yes. I'm really interested now. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yes, you're so welcome. Now let's dive into some female um, health things. So if we could go through the different cycles of change that the female goes through in her lifetime, that would be fabulous. Yes. So there's going to be three different 
kind of three and a half different cycles. So you're going to have your um, puberty, like when you're a child, and uh, then you'll go through puberty. So that would count as one. Mm. Right. And then uh, you have your pre-menopause, which is going to be post-puberty all the way up to perimenopause. Um, and that's going to be when somebody, ouch, claws there, sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, you have childhood and then puberty. And then you have your pre-menopause. So that's going to be the majority, like a huge portion of your life, basically, like post-puberty to all the way till perimenopause. Then you have uh, when you'll be cycling, and that's going to be when you're rep- most reproductive, etc. And then you have perimenopause, and a lot of people get confused with perimenopause and menopause, and then postmenopause. Mm-hmm. So perimenopause is just when your hormones start to change, and it's leading up to menopause. And you might be cycling, you might be having random cycles, uh, and you're going to be experiencing a lot of symptoms. Menopause is one moment in time. Mm -hmm. It's just the 12 months. It's when you've gone 12 months in a row without a period. And it's that moment, that 12 month, no period. Boom, I'm in menopause. Next month, you are Mm post-menopause. And so a lot of people think that you're, you're not going, you're not in menopause till after you don't have any period. But actually, you're post-menopause once you don't have a period. And so then that's the, the rest of your life. So I think it's important to define all these things, right? So you have childhood, puberty, pre-menopause, perimenopause, post-menopause. Mm-hmm. And so perimenopause is when you're going to be experiencing a ton of the, the menopausal symptoms. And that's when you're having like the most physiological change happening. Are those symptoms normal? Or should women be experiencing, like, should it be that? Because a lot of people perceive it as, like, a bad, you know, like, hot flashes and terrible and they want to go get hormone therapy because mm-hmm. it's, like, so terrible. Mm-hmm. Is that normal that, you know, women are experiencing that or is it due to lifestyle things? It's very normal, although um, if you have um, extra, like, adipose tissue or fat tissue, you will have heightened symptoms. Mm. But it's very normal. Okay. So, uh, especially hot flashes, um, that's the most common symptom. And, uh, yeah, again, if you, are, if you are larger and have extra body fat, you'll have worse ones. But even if you are, uh, like, a, a, a normal weight, et cetera, like, you're going to have... Hot flashes. Very, very normal. So it, you're going the different symptoms that well maybe we should wait, go to the next question. Should we dive into menopause? Yeah, let's dive into menopause. Okay, we'll dive into <laughs> menopause. <laughs> okay. So um during perimenopause, you're going to have so estrogen and progesterone are gonna be doing this giant wave at different times. And they're slowly plummeting over mm-hmm. year, over like four or five years. And then you're getting less estrogen and less progesterone. So, but estrogen might be really high, progesterone's really low. Then they then estrogen might be really low, progesterone will be really high, Mm -hmm. and they might be doing something like this. Okay, right? Or they could be going together and gradually going up and then going down and going up and then going down. But they gradually are both plummeting. Okay. Okay. Whereas uh, FSH and LH are slowly increasing in a linear line. Hmm. Okay. And so um, oftentimes the most common is that people are going to have excess estrogen and low progesterone. And that's going to cause lots of hot flashes. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're going, and the other common symptoms would be irritability, 
brain fog, uh, insomnia, like uh, lack of motivation. Just, there's going to be a lot of symptoms. Well, the most common one is going to be the hot flashes and the night sweats and the and the irritability and brain fog. What about weight gain? Oh, yeah. So that time? most women will gain weight specifically in their stomach. They're going to gain. Why is that? Um, so you actually become sen- uh, your, your sensitivity to insulin goes down. Mm-hmm. And so you do not digest simple carbohydrates the same way anymore. So you actually have to cut all of those out and completely get all of your um, carbohydrate intake from fruit and vegetable and completely cut any other carbohydrate. Why out. do you think that is? Do you, do you ever ponder like why like the, cause I think that most of this stuff has to be like evolutionary, like survival. There's some reason why we become so it, it, sensitive to insulin. Yeah. 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 Um, well, so it, there's, there's scientific science behind it. So yeah. basically when you have your cycle, we, we talked about it in episode six, mm-hmm. Um, you have moments or d- different during different phases, you're using fats for fuel mm-hmm. because estrogen supports fatty acid oxidation, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have other phases where uh, estrogen is low and you're using carbs for fuel and uh, you're not supporting fatty acid oxidation because estrogen is low. And so you have this influx and, and influx and then it's gone and this big influx and then it's gone and your body gets used to estrogen rising and falling using fats using carbs using fats Mm -hmm. using carbs and so basically when it goes away instead of just using carbs which would like logically you'd think why wouldn't you just use carbs because there's no estrogen it's like i don't remember how to do this and it's going to you actually you're going to use fat for fuel at rest and during exercise Mm. And so you, that's what happens when you take estrogen away. Instead of using carbs, you end up using fat because it just, it just reverts to that. When you take estrogen away, you revert to using fat. During, after menopause. After menopause. But like pre-menopause, during, your cycle, during cycle, cycle, estrogen's it's gone. Different. When estrogen's low, you're using carbohydrates for fuel. For fuel, okay. And then when estrogen's high, when, you're, your, when, you're on, when, when estrogen's high pre-menopause, yes. you're using fats for fuel. Okay. Because estrogen is high, it's promoting fatty acid oxidation. Mm, okay. And what part of the cycle is estrogen That's in high? your luteal phase. Okay. That's it in the high hormone phase. And the high hormone phase is from... So your, your low hormone phase is day one of your period. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at, this is going to be the follicular phase. It's different for every woman. Uh, so that could be anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20 days. Leading up to ovulation. Right. Okay. And then your luteal phase, the high hormone phase, is the two weeks prior to your period. It's always, the luteal phase is always two weeks. Okay. And so you could just say, my period's due on the first, then uh, my, then I know those two weeks prior to the first, I'm using fats for fuel. Okay. That's your high hormone phase after your period. No, right, it's right before your period. Two oh, weeks, before, okay. those two weeks leading up to your period is the high oh, hormone phase. Up. Okay. You're using fats for fuel. Mm-hmm. And as you get closer and closer to the day you start your period, as your hormones are plummeting, you're going to start using carbs more and more and more. Okay. Until day one of your period, now we're using and then carbs. You shift, okay. Yep. Thanks for explaining that again. Yeah, no, no worries. It is complicated because like so many things. There's so many things like pre, like pre, pre menopause and while you're cycling, and then post menopause things change. Okay. So things change. Estrogen goes away, and you still use or use fatty acid oxidation for fuel. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I, you definitely need to switch your macronutrients 
during that time to using more fats for fuel than carbs because you're going to if you keep eating carbs you're going to get you're going to gain the stomach fat you're going to gain weight that you don't want yes and it doesn't even matter if you start exercising more your body the physiology is changing you need to change the way you eat and actually that's a it's a good point so if you implement basically four major things uh, during perimenopause, mm-hmm. you can shift your physiology. Mm. What are the four? Um, the, so that's going to be doing high-intensity cardio. Slow and steady cardio does not help you in any way. After mm. you just need to, all you need to be doing is high-intensity interval training once you hit perimenopause. Um, you're going to be lifting heavy weights. So that's going to be in the rep range of one to six. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if you're doing like, if you're lifting, any kind of lifting weights is great. But if you're doing like a three by eight or three by 10 or three by 12, that's not enough muscle stimuli to actually get mTOR going. Mm-hmm. You need a deep muscle stimuli to get mTOR going and to get your muscle protein synthesis starting. So you need to be doing heavy, heavy, heavy weights yeah. in the one to six rep range. And that's so counterintuitive, especially mm-hmm. for women in their 50s. But that's where you need to change because the, you know, the regular rep range that you would do for just a gen pop person isn't going to cut it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you need to be doing, increase your protein, mm-hmm. specifically leucine. Well, leucine is going to be a lifesaver for somebody in menopause. Uh, it's going to combat because, so I think we talked about this in yes. the other podcast too, of like, estrogen is crosses the blood brain barrier and it's going to attach to your serotonin receptors mm-hmm. which can cause brain fog and can cause irritability etc well not only does estrogen work with the you know tryptophan and serotonin but also leucine mm. so if you if you are in menopause having bcaas that have high in leucine every day is really good just to have mm. as many bcaas circulating in your bloodstream as possible will combat the brain fog and the central nervous system fatigue you want to have as many bcaas specifically leucine circulating Mm -hmm. so what let's see what we have we have high intensity training lifting heavy and then increasing the protein and the fourth one would be adaptogens so adaptogens are just plant compounds that are actually like highly researched and like not a lot of people talk about Sounds like you know what I'm talking I about. I love that. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I feel more Chinese, like, medicine talks about them. Uh-huh. And just not Western nope, medicine. Nope, not at all. Much. So now this leads us into talking about hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of confusing because we didn't research it until the 2000s. Mm-hmm. But when we did research it in the 2000s, 2002, there was this uh, U.S. women's study and then there was a worldwide million women study. And so there was like a million people in this worldwide, women in this worldwide study. And then there was like hundred over 100,000 people, women in the uh, U.S. study. And they were both trying hormone replacement therapy. Um, Dr. Sins likes to call it um, menopause hormone therapy because you're not actually replacing any hormones. You are using synthetic hormones, right? Yeah. So we're not replacing those hormones. They're actually different. We're using synthetic hormones. And so it's it's menopause, uh, menopause hormone therapy. Okay. So what they found was two very conflicting... The results were conflicting. The, but the problem was is that the U.S. was using women in their 50s who were somewhat active. They were mostly nurses. And then the 
the worldwide study was using women in their 60s who were sedentary. Mm-hmm. And the results were very different. So the results from the U.S. study showed that it, it, it worked well it, until you used it for an extended, if you used it for too many years, increase for breast cancer, increase for heart attack, increase for stroke, increase for, you know, all these things. And that is the same thing that the, the large, the, the older study found too, with, with the older women who were sedentary, except they saw the results immediately. Mm-hmm. They actually stopped that study mid study because too many people were getting issues, other, having other issues. Mm. So what you can take away from this and what you can, what actually I wouldn't recommend, but some people have really, really bad symptoms and can't function, is it is safe to use the minimum dosage during those first few years of menopause. Using it 10 plus years outside of menopause, just dangerous, doesn't help you. It doesn't actually outweigh the benefits of it. Mm -hmm. But you can use it, the smallest dosages, within those first like three to five years of the onset of menopause, and it can actually be helpful. I am not a doctor, but what I would recommend is using adaptogens mm. because they can they, they find that those are actually just as beneficial and don't have the negative effects. So what adaptogens do you recommend? So you have the stimulating ones, which would be um, Shashandra and uh, Maka and uh, Rosaria. And then the kind of more calming ones would be uh, Holy Basil and Ashwagandha. And so uh, my... the my clients find the maca very very stimulating i mean they're like wired they get so much energy from it you don't need a lot yeah um and they really really like the ashwagandha at night i like ashwagandha yes yes because it helps a lot with the hot flashes it helps a Which lot is really good energy balancing it's really calming it calms your cortisol levels down mm-hmm. and calms your central nervous system down and helps you sleep through the night and not have any um, hot flashes. So yeah, the taking the ba- holy basil and the ashwagandha at night, and then taking the maca and the shashandra and the rosaria in the morning. And you, I, I recommend just doing one at a time, and just seeing how your body reacts. Take, take it for that week and see. Did I like this? Did I not? How did my body react? Now, if you have any sort of thyroid, either hypo or hyper, definitely need to research this because they can really affect it. Yes. And so I would definitely need to know, like, the client and the background and the history Mm -hmm. before recommending this to anybody because they they can be really powerful. Yes. Um, So I – my clients love the adaptogens. They love them. Mm -hmm. They help them completely – I just talked to someone this morning who – she started with me on January 1st. Hot flashes are gone. Fabulous. Yeah. That's amazing. She loves it. That's so good. Yeah. About the um, perimenopause and high-intensity interval training, so is that different with premenopause? Because I have heard that for females, I don't know if it's like premenopause or peri or postmenopause, that longer duration, lower intensity can be better just because it doesn't create that stress in us Mm -hmm. dealing with like estrogen. So does that just change? Yep. That that totally changes because it once you hit perimenopause and postmenopause, you need a healthy. Your bone density is going to plummet, mm. and so doing multi-directional and high intensity is going to be really important for you postmenopause. And also, a lot of like what I do, keep in mind, is also um, focused towards people who want to become faster. Yes, 
right? And so if I was to have a client, she's, say, working with her long-term client, she's 35, we're doing this long, slow training, she's getting faster and faster and faster, but then over the years, she's getting slower and slower, you know, now she's 45 and she's having some symptoms and she's just, the training that we've done is just not working like it used to. It, the long, slow, steady stuff doesn't do anything, it's not enough stimuli Mm, anymore. They just need more. They need more stimuli. Okay. And so, like, as you get older, women specifically, need to do high-intensity, multi-directional training. So, give me plyometrics mm-hmm. um, and doing lateral movements, like tennis is great. Yeah. Doing stuff like that. Okay. So, that yeah. So, sense. great, great question. Yeah. yeah, just because it's shifting, you know, just adapt what you're eating and doing and you can optimize how you're feeling probably then totally so yeah somebody going through menopause like i said earlier like implementing those four things Mm -hmm. uh when you're in perimenopause you can actually shift your physiology so you don't have the weight gain so you don't have the bone loss so you can get stronger and leaner and still see the results like as an athlete that you want to see Mm -hmm. now doing these things when you're 65 also beneficial however you're really addressing old age Mm-hmm. And, and you're not really addressing, like, the, the hormonal shift that occurred during menopause. Mm-hmm. So it's still great to do, and you still they, they need to do it, and you will still benefit from it. But if you want to see a shift, so it's not too late. If you're listening, and you're like, crap, I'm 65. Like, I missed my window. You didn't miss the window. It will still help. But to really see a shift in your physiology, doing it in perimenopause when you're 45 or 48, whenever it happens for them, would be is critical mm-hmm. and you can see huge huge benefits from doing those four things that makes sense while those things are changing inside of your body yes yeah yes and so yeah if you depending on your history you during perimenopause you might have low estrogen and low progesterone and actually if you have a history with amenorrhea that's what you're going to have mm. so if you if you have under eaten and overtrained and lost your period as in your history as an athlete which this could dive right into what we were going to talk about yeah. too, um, you'll have low estrogen and low progesterone during menopause, which has all sorts, like if different combinations of low and high estrogen and progesterone will give you different symptoms. Mm. So tracking those symptoms, and then you can decide what adaptogens to take. Yes. And the BCAAs and the lifting heavy and the high-intensity interval training and the getting rid of the simple carbohydrates and and using more fats, more plant-based fats for fuel mm-hmm. specifically, you'll see huge results. I love the – I think there's just so much power in tracking your mm-hmm. symptoms and tracking – Yes. Once – because when I started tracking my cycle, now I'm so detailed in my tracking. Like, I used to track only when I was feeling bad. Uh-huh. And now I track feeling really good energy. This is how I train. This is how I ate. This is how I'm feeling. Tracking it all just gives you so much power. And yes. Because you can look at, you know, how your hormones are changing, how these things are changing. But then once you just look at how am I feeling and what if I change and how is that impacting how I'm feeling different, there's just so much power in those. Absolutely. And understanding that. Absolutely. And I find that human memory is actually not very good. Yeah. And so uh, you might think you're tracking in your head. But you you don't really yeah. know. You need to write it down. Yeah, you got you got to write it down because uh, I've gone through. Oh, I basically know what what's happening. You don't. You don't know. Your yeah, memory. Your human memory is actually not that great. Yeah, and so writing it down so you can look back. Oh, 
that did happen, you know, right at the same time every month, every you month. know, and yes. you're like, oh my God, that's when I'm ovulating, it's or pretty that's when good. I'm switching over to fats, you know, so it, it, I love that you're tracking, that's awesome. It's so good, I have two, I have a calendar here, and then I have one in my room, and on the one in my room, I write, you know, any body issues I yes. was having, or starting my period, or anything, and then just, yeah, looking month to month, being like, wow, <laughs> every time. Yeah. It's always this one day or this week that I'm feeling this way. Yes. And it's okay. I'm just aware of it now. And I'm like the witness of it happening mm-hmm. versus and it, being upset. It's kind of validating to know. You're like, oh, that makes sense of why I was feeling the way I was feeling. And yes. It's just kind of nice knowing. Yeah. And I had one client, she was in the high hormone phase, so she was sweating out more salt. And I told her that that was going to happen. And I was like, you're going to sweat a lot. You know, you'd be sweating out more salt. And then sure enough, she went to a hot yoga and she said she was just drenched in salt and so she knew that she needed to take in more electrolytes post hot yoga Mm -hmm. and she's probably she said she never would have noticed or thought of that before but she was paying attention to it and we had talked about tracking and oh you're in your high hormone phase have some extra electrolytes this week and then you can still feel just as good yes by changing that one yeah just by changing that thing exactly perfect i just wish this education was you know, it, gets, it makes me so frustrated because there's so much power in this education that so many females are missing out on. Oh, yes. We're we, not taught any of this. We know this because we went through puberty and nobody taught us any of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then where does that education about female health, where do most people get all of their education about female health and, you know, what's changing in your body, if they get any? Most people get it in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most people would get it in school. Depends on, obviously, the school district, when they would decide to do this. I know my uh, my experience, I think we got one talk in sixth grade, and then we had health class in eighth grade. So, you know, I was like 12 and 14. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I, mean, I feel really let down by the education system for sure. Because, you know, there's so many... Things that uh, could have helped me going through puberty that uh, I didn't know about until my mid to late 20s. Yeah. You know? Me too. I feel like they've (laughs) impacted me now because when I was, you know, really changing as a female for going through puberty and just... I think evolving and my hormones were changing. That's when I really got into exercise. Yes. And I think it was because your body's changing and you're almost like... I don't know if this is good. I'm going to eat a little less and I'm going to work oh out more. And then now I'm like, oh my God, Emily, you really fucked yourself up a you little did. bit doing that. <laughs> like, like, if I remember correctly, you have low thyroid. Yes. And yes. it's, you know, it's so much better. Like my symptoms good. are almost like a hundred percent better. Good. But it's totally from that. hundred yeah, percent. You, you under eat, over train, thyroid drops, your endocrine system's like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. You lose your period and you go to the doctor and they're like, oh, here's the pill. Yeah. <laughs> and, <then> oh. you, <laughs> and it's like the system that happens and it even, it happened to me post period like as an adult I was training for an Ironman and there's this big like culture in racing what's your race weight you're gonna get down to race weight like it's just this big culture in racing and lots of sports it's like wrestling any yes wrestling but even like competitive running competitive rowing like any kind of like competitive sport like what's your race weight is a big thing because it works great for men to be as thin as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, they they will perform well if they're lighter. Mm-hmm. But women 
do not. And so it's just this common thing. Like if you're listening and you you diet and you eat less and you're overtraining and you've lost your period, just I promise you eat more. Yes. You will feel better. You will perform better. Like you will optimize your training. Yeah. And because this, this literally happened to me. i constantly trying to get down to a race weight that I wanted to be. Oh, exercising 15, 16 hours a week lose your period I went to actually a naturopath Mm -hmm. and she took my blood work and was like oh weird like your FSH and your LH were are flipped flipped. and I I just this was before I knew any any of this information I was just confused I was like what does that mean she's like well it looks like you have PCOS like I don't have PCOS I've had a regular period my entire life Mm -hmm. like PCOS like you would have irregular periods your whole life yeah I have regular periods well here's the pill and I'm like, oh, well, the naturopath's putting me on a pill. I guess I should go on the pill. There's synthetic hormones that are suppressing my natural hormones. So, like, now I have a birth control that's hormone-free, and I can make sure I, I use it so I make sure I'm eating enough. If I lose my period, then I know, hey, you need to eat more because you're not eating enough to sustain your training. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, back to your first question. Mm-hmm. I think the education system needs, like, just to a complete redo. Completely. Because even, like... Like, my boyfriend's a fifth grade teacher, and he does, like, this program called Flash that he says is really great. He says it's a great program for teaching about, like, family and sex and, like, health and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't go over – he hardly goes over this. Yeah. Right? And he considers that a great program. Mm -hmm. So we need more people in charge of the curriculum who care about this. Yes. The people in charge of the curriculum need to, to care about this and put it in the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Because that that is the only way this is going to change on a broader scale. You know, uh, I have an, uh, a niece and I'm so excited for her to go through puberty. Yes. Because I can't <laughs> wait. Like, I know all of my siblings are going to be like, can you have the period talk with her? Like, yeah. like all of my siblings are going to send their girls to me. And I'm so excited to do it. Because I'm like, yes, I'm going to empower them and teach them, like, how to have, how to optimize their period and how to truly, like, live their best life. Yes. And not let it be this thing that is weight that brings you down. Like, I just felt like my period brought me down mm-hmm. in middle school and in high school. It was just this big burden that I felt. Yes. And so I think not only do the women need to be educated, but men do too. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot, there can tend to be a lot of misogyny, you know, about periods and, like, Guys, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to learn about it. Like, and and they are missing out on a lot of knowledge and power for themselves too. Because mm-hmm. do you have sisters? Do you have girlfriends or wives? Do you have daughters? Do you like, have a mother? Do you have a mother? <laughs> exactly. Everyone is a mother. And so, like, if you don't, if you exclude yourself from this conversation as a man, you are missing out on some amazing moments with the women in your lives. Yes. Yeah. I think that it's. Oh my gosh, it just is so many things that need to be changed. Yeah. But just having that education of even like an out outward source coming into the schools. Yes. And just being like, you know, yes. I offer like you, like going to mm-hmm. like fifth graders or whatever grade you think is the best yeah. and teaching them this. And then I would love someday to just be like a sexuality like coach for, you know, people and just yes. the communication around everything involving like your health and your sexuality and just these changes that we go through through our lives because if the women can you know be confident in that and then also the men there should be no reason that you can't have 
conversations about with this with anybody. It right. shouldn't be weird. It shouldn't right. be a different, you know, topic of, like, how was your week last week? Like, oh, I was on my cycle, like, phase this week. I was on day 10 of my cycle feeling like this. Like, it, it should be yes. just open communication. Yes. And I have those type of conversations with my boyfriend all the time. He's like, oh, how was your workout? I'd be like, oh, I crushed it. I was ovulating today, and I was just like, oh, my God, best workout. I'd be like, oh, it's my high hormone phase, so I dropped my power on the bike and ended up having a good workout. So I'm really glad that I, you know, knew I was in my high hormone phase, was able to lower the intensity on my bike ride, and ended up having a great workout. Versus before, I wouldn't have known I was in my high hormone phase. I would have tried to do a higher power output. And would have struggled and would have been like, man, what's, wrong, what's with wrong with me, right? Yeah. And so I have those conversations with him openly all the time. But it'd be great if we, you were, like you said, we could just have this, like, to other, you know, trainers or other people we see, you know, like, oh, yeah, no, I'm doing really well. Or I need some more salt. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need some more salt. <laughs> my hormone face. It's so funny. So then girls, when they're, and I think also men, like, all sports kind of have this, just like you were saying with, like, the weight. How do you think that sports play into all the issues that we can have? So, yeah, just even starting at a young age, like, girls and boys are performing the same, mm-hmm. right? Everyone's performing the same, the same, the same. You're competing with the boys. Like, everyone, like everyone's pretty much on an equal playing field. The only reason there wouldn't be is because there might be some mimicking of other women they see, and they might not be participating as much. Right, mm-hmm. but and that has a that is a huge deal with like, you know, throwing like a girl, quote unquote, or running like a girl, or hitting like a girl, quote unquote. It's just because men have far more repetitions than women do as children. Because who do we watch play sports on TV? Yeah, who boys. do we watch play sports outside? Well, and what's what are the toys that mm-hmm. the parents giving? Right, we'll go to the store, walk through the right. pink aisle, you see yes. dolls. Walk to the boy aisle, you see toy or and, like. Baseballs, baseballs and, and toys. Footballs. Yeah. Exactly. And so guys grow up getting tons of repetitions. Hmm. Girls grow up getting a few repetitions. And so, but they might be able to run and just as fast, etc. But then you might have competitive af- women athletes, you know, going through puberty. And all of a sudden, you know, so in puberty, women's, uh, girls slash women's bones get longer first. Then they fill with density. Hmm. Whereas boys... Their bones fill with density first, then get longer. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so you're going to see a lot more uh, weaker joints, wobbly legs, like awkward form in girls going through puberty. You're also going to gain adipose tissue and other and fat in in places. And that's normal. And Mm -hmm. you'll grow into those hips and your body. You actually get new anatomy and angles in your shoulders and your hips. And so... In sports, what you need to do is reteach them how to run, reteach them how to throw, reteach them how to dribble or pass, and go through uh, drills and technique and form. The rest will come. Mm-hmm. But instead, what we focus on is weight loss and conditioning and dieting. And so you just have, you, we're, we're breeding all of these eating disorders for these athletes. And who think that I need to, like, the key to being faster and better at my sport is to be lighter. Mm-hmm. That's what works for the men. They don't have to redo their form or relearn, do technique and stuff because the the way that they're growing is their anatomy is pretty much staying the same. Mm-hmm. And so, and their bones are filled with density, and so they're not uh, 
at as greater risk as injury. And so now we're, you know, I'm sure you've heard of uh, the female athlete triad. Mm-hmm. And that's what we learned in college and in our courses, et cetera. But that leaves out women who are actually normal weight. Mm -hmm. And so you have all these women who are actually at a quote-unquote healthy weight, but have every other part of the female athlete triad. So we're actually calling it red S, and it's just relative energy deficiency syndrome. Mm -hmm. And so it's just low availability, energy availability, LEA. Low low energy availability is just like there are all these athletes who have are eating less, training more to become faster and faster and fitter and fitter, but it's just not working. Mm-hmm. And they lose their periods and they break their bones or they get stress fractures. And now they're adults trying to trying to do the same thing. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> I still have a lot of female clients constantly being, you know, like, I need to lose weight. The doctor told me I need to lose weight. I'm just going to, like eat completely less and exercise more and it's like there's just so much more to it than that and that can almost that causes hypothyroidism yes you know like it causes endocrine issues and it causes your body to go into survival mode it's just really crazy yep it's exactly right and so yeah you have we're surrounded by my and I used myself used to be included this just women in constant diet mode Mm -hmm. and also trying to compete and you can't perform well. Yeah. You cannot perform well if your calories are too low for what you're trying to sustain. So how do you, knowing that now, like say you're, there's an athlete, you know, that's like listening and they are like, okay, I understand. I messed up. Nobody's taught me this stuff. How do you really heal from those past experiences and get your body And can you? Have we talked about no period now what? I think, but let's talk about it again. Yeah, so that's the book I recommend. I think I recommended that book yes. last time. Mm-hmm. So the book talks a lot about it. And if anyone listening uh, has lost their period and wants to get it back and is constantly dieting and over-exercising, I highly recommend this book. And actually, my sister-in-law, I gave her this book a few months ago. She hasn't had her period in two years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And she had just got it. I'm so happy. She just got her period back last weekend. Yay. But she's been working since June. Was hers due to, get it back. to like... So the, the book talks about what they call going all in. Okay. And going all in means completely giving up tracking your food and dieting. I mean, going all in means just eating. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. stopping your exercise. Yep. And so all in means no exercise and eating and there will be weight gain and... You know, but, and there will be trauma. Oftentimes there's trauma surrounded because if you have an eating disorder or disordered eating, it can be really hard to break that Mm -hmm. and go all in like the book talks about. That's good. That's what my thyroid book by L. Russ, Paleo Thyroid Solution, her first step in healing your hypothyroidism is stop exercising. Yep. Yep. (laughs) No, I'm not surprised. You 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 can't put that stress. So think about my sister-in-law hasn't had her period in two years. She went all in in June or probably July. She went all in in July. She just got her period back Mm. in January. So, I mean, I don't think she went all in. She tried to go all in. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She was doing 20,000 steps a day. Okay. Because she's just in her head, yeah. you know, like, so she was doing 10,000 steps outside and doing 10,000 steps inside, pacing her house, oh you gosh. know, because she's just, it's just, 
you know, you get to... No, it's ingrained in ingra- It's ingrained in all of us, yep. you know? And so she's finally got her period back, and I, we literally celebrated. We were so yes. happy. <laughs> I was like, That's yay! so good. So, yeah, you have to go all in. You have to give up, and it's just, it, it's not forever. Mm-hmm. It's just until you get your body back to where it's healthy at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard for people who have eating disorders mm-hmm. to see somebody else who's thin... And think, well, they have their period, and why can't I be healthy at their size? Well, they have a different body. Mm-hmm. For your body, that weight was unhealthy. Mm-hmm. You need to get to a weight that's healthy for your body, and it's mm-hmm. different for everybody. Yeah, we all have that set point. Exactly. Even if going all in will, you know, make you gain 20 pounds, it mm-hmm. will come back. Yeah. To You will come back to that set point. you got to yeah. heal your metabolism. Exactly. And heal, get all those hormones, like, exactly. functioning. Exactly. And... That and it's really important. If you don't go all in, it will it will not come back. Hmm. Like you got you got to go all all in. Yeah. And stop the exercise and stop the the dieting and just just eat. With your your sister in law, with the steps, something that I did this past year that was like life changing for me is I always used to track my steps like uh-huh. on Fitbit. Yeah. And I just read what book did I read? Primal Blueprint, and he talks a lot about like. In the fitness industry and just the culture right now, it's like, how many steps did you get? How much food did you eat? How much sleep did you get? And it's like, your body knows <laughs> what to down. do. Like, <laughs> get rid of your step tracker. Yeah. And so I, like, got rid of my tracker. Yeah. And then if I want to go for a long walk or a super long hike, I do. But I don't look at how many steps I get every day. And that was phenomenal yes. for me. I can feel when I need to go for a walk. Yeah. Like, my back or my hips. Like, yes. I can feel it. Your body knows when you need to move. It knows when you need to sleep. And it knows when you need to eat. It's with getting out of the, like... Yes. It's difficult, especially from when a young age you're taught, like, you know, eat this time of the day. Eat this. But Mm -hmm. if you just, like, get rid of all of those set things, your body knows what it needs. Those mechanisms are set in place. Oh, I feel hungry. I should eat. Yeah. Um, and then to your point, I used to track my sleep. Mm-hmm. But it stressed me out so much yes. that I couldn't sleep. Right? <laughs> that, and that's And I was just, like, thing. always looking at, like, they sleep the next day. I'm like, oh, no, I, I only got this much deep sleep and this much REM and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm staying awake at night stressed that I'm not getting any sleep. And so I just got, it's like... Fuck that. I'm done tracking my sleep. And I this was years ago when I was like, maybe I should just decide if I feel rested when I wake up. <laughs> like, I feel great. Must have slept great. Awesome. Yep. What a concept. <laughs> but it really what is. What a concept, yes. It's good to step away from all those tracking. Because, you know, I think it's common knowledge now, like, don't track your weight sometimes because yeah. that can cause it. It's the same thing with, of course, there's... You know, every person is different and every individual journey, maybe it's good for them. But I mm-hmm. think overall, there's a lot of healing in stepping away from tracking yes. everything instead just listening to your body. Because it is different. Like we've talked about, it's different every day and every yep. week you're needing different things. Yep. And I, yeah, I think tr- tracking some things, awesome to notice patterns. Yes. Tracking obsessively other things that your body can do naturally for you you know just decide you pick and choose what is healthy for you to track yes you know and if you're obsessing over something it's probably not a good thing to track mm-hmm. causing that like dissonance in your brain and and all of those things right so then after perimenopause then you're in so then you have the menopause state mm-hmm. and then you're in postmenopause so yes. what's happening to physiology in postmenopause so postmenopause estrogen and progesterone are low 
mm-hmm. and your FSH, your FSH and your LH are high. And you're going to be in that physiological state till you pass away. So the biggest thing that I, I can stress for postmenopause is just the plyometrics, the heavy lifting, you know, that type of training. Because uh, you want to be strong into your 70s and 80s and be able to do stairs. Yes. And, you know, like a lot of, it's a huge problem for older women is breaking bones. Mm-hmm. It's a distinct difference between men and women. And so, oh yeah, an increase, did we talk about increasing protein? We talked about the leucine. Oh, we talked about the leucine. Okay, But perfect. just in general. Just in increasing. general. Increasing your protein. So like for muscle protein synthesis to happen, Pre, uh, pre-menopause. We think we talked about this in the other podcast. Having 30 grams of protein making sh- in the 30-minute window post-exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, because in men, we talked about this last time for sure. In men, it happens straight in the muscle. In the, the protein that you ingest goes straight to your muscle. Protein, mm-hmm. uh, muscle protein synthesis occurs. But in women, it actually transports to the brain first, then the muscle. Mm-hmm. So you need an extra 10 grams to get it to transport there. Mm-hmm. But then in menopause, you need another 10 grams mm-hmm. for muscle protein synthesis to start. Oh, my gosh. And so it's very difficult getting uh, 40 grams of protein in post-workout in a 30-minute window. Yeah. Very difficult. Uh, but there are ways to do it, and uh, my clients just are super focused on that. And I just noticed that just them focusing on it is a huge difference because if you don't put this effort into it, then you end up getting, like, very little so just always having that focus of like I need I need to get the protein in otherwise you're not going to be building the lean muscle mass that you want. Yeah. Why does why do females bones degrade faster or why do they why is there more breaks? Um so yeah, we we are because um estrogen and progesterone work together. Mm-hmm. Est- pre menopause. Mm-hmm. Estrogen is anabolic, progesterone is catabolic. And so the estrogen is, is bone building. Progesterone is, you know, catabolic, but it also does bone cleanup. And so they work together to, to build and clean up, build and clean up, build and clean up. Okay. And so now that they've plummeted, we don't have this build and clean up kind of team working together yeah. for your bones. Hmm. And so uh, your, your bones will become brittle and, and empty and decay. How does somebody that has been on... Like a progestin, because most is most birth control progest. Are they mostly impacting progesterone? That's a hormone. Yeah. So the the typical pill that people will the doctors will give out is going to be a progestin. Okay, for progestin. sure. And and actually, it does actually. It, it, some will also give an estrogen one as well. Okay. Um, but the most common one is going to be progestin, and it. Some people actually recommend being on birth control to actually help build your bone mass. So progesterone is going to be different than progesterone. Yeah. And so um, in actually no no period now what, they think that they, they that book, the author does recommend some sort of like hormonal birth control hmm. to build bone mass. Now I disagree. Yeah. Uh, because I think you can build bone mass with a high protein diet, heavy lifting plyometrics yeah right so I, I i do disagree with the book in that sense of like no there are ways that we can build 
lean mass and have strong, healthy bones without going on hormones. Yeah, I agree. Our ancestors did it for hundreds <laughs> of thousands of years. Yeah. They lived, they moved their whole life. Yes. They ate probably high protein, lots yes. of meat, and yes. they, you know, lifted heavy things. Yes, so exactly. I think if they did it, we can do it. We can totally <laughs> do it. So, yeah, that, that's why. Estrogen, progesterone do different things by themselves, but then also do different together. things together. So then if somebody is on a hormonal pill, mm-hmm. how does that impact or does that impact when they start having these like perimenopause symptoms? Yeah, yeah, that totally – so people will recommend – doctors will actually recommend keeping your hormonal IUD or staying on the pill until the symptoms die down um, because it can help with – your menopausal symptoms Mm -hmm. so it it can it can definitely help mitigate i just would rather use i would rather be off the pill and use adaptogens to help with the with the symptoms Mm -hmm. but it can't it can certainly like i do have one client who has a hormonal id and she it she has really bad symptoms so she's just leaving it in until she's done with menopause is there any, like, long-term studies on the effects of, like, all of the different contraception, like, birth control, IUD? Like, are there any long-term studies? Because I feel like, how long has, has the IUD even been around? Um, I would love, I you know, I, I should look into, I haven't read any long-term, long-term studies. Yeah. Because, remember, birth control hasn't been around that, that long. long. Yeah. It just made it in the 60s. Right. Right? Crazy. So, it's only been around for 60 years. Yeah. And it hasn't been that available. Right? Because yeah. even in the 60s, it was, like, not that available to women. And so, the, and the IUD used to be more popular, and then it really went away. They shifted away from it. And now it's it's back to being popular again. Mm-hmm. So because it's new, because it wasn't, it's not very available, mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of long-term studies on it. Yeah. I do have um, a couple of library resources that I could go and check and see if there, see if there are any. Do you, in just your knowledge that you uh-huh. already have, do you think that there are going to be like negative effects on you know manipulating these hormones yeah so with in terms of like the isolated isolated hormones not so much Mm -hmm. um but pill for sure i mean you have these synthetic hormones circulate in your bloodstream and the the negative effects would would be similar i mean would be like okay you're not gonna be able to get pregnant yeah and like because it's so your natural hormones have been repressed for so So long long. that they're Mm -hmm. not coming back but eventually, most people's period does come back. Yeah. After you get off the pill, it does come back. Um, but is your is your fertility, you know, as optimal? Probably, probably not. not right? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying. That's something for me to think about. I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to research this. Yeah. But there, you know, there are women who are on it long term, like people who have endometriosis. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's very, very painful yeah. and insanely underdiagnosed condition. And what is endometriosis? So it's like uh, extra lining uh, that grows, mm-hmm. and it is insanely painful periods mm-hmm. to the point. I mean, this is like extremely underdiagnosed. Most women don't get diagnosed till they're close to thirty. Oh wow! And um, you have to have surgery to remove that extra tissue, and then go on hormonal treatments mm-hmm. because it just grows, and it's so. I mean, these these poor women are in so much pain, and then they, they go to the doctor, and they're just. 
they're just missed. Oh. Like, it's just a painful period. Take ibuprofen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, I mean, my heart, like, I'm going to start crying. My heart goes out to these women. Yeah. Because they're in so much pain. And not being heard. And then they're gaslit. Yeah. And they're not being heard. And they're being told that it's just period pain and everybody goes through it. And then you have to find a good doctor who can go in there and look and say, look at all this extra tissue growth, you know. Yeah. Like, you have endometriosis. Like, you oh, need man. to get some of this removed and go on hormonal treatment. So, uh, th- so anyways, my example is those women have to be uh, on yeah. on on some sort of hormonal treatment for their life, for yeah. their whole life, right? But ideally, we don't want that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are certain cases where, yeah, you have to be on that hormonal treatment and they probably won't, don't have kids. Yeah. It's just case by case and everyone. Yeah. What, what can you do to, like optimize whatever you want if you don't want you know to have children then yeah probably different for you but it would be interesting to see in like hundreds of years you know what oh, they find super because it's gonna there's gonna be research then hopefully yes you know super it will be super interesting to see what happens see. with the, the synthetic hormones and long-term effects and just like our systems and the bones and just everything and on offspring i'm interested oh, in that you know right. how does the is mom it- being on this impact the child's because you get so much from your mom. You know, you, you get your... See, you have to see if anything does get passed down. I don't know. Yeah. Or if it diminishes that natural... Your child's natural sex hormones. Right. Or their fertility. Like, it's just there's so many things that when we're manipulating any part of our physiology, there's obviously effects. But yep. it's like ones... And then something you probably can't even study. You don't even... We won't even know. Right, because, yeah, and a large part of that is, like, society just in general doesn't study women. Yeah. Right, so... Yeah. So, for for a researcher to even... For a researcher to even think to study that would be very rare. And it's difficult because a lot of the funding for this... I don't know. I feel like a lot of the funding for women's health probably comes from these birth control pills. Right, sure. And it's like, they maybe don't want to do studies (laughs) that prove that their product is bad. Of course not. Why would they want that? Right? Because if there's no studies, then there's no proof for the general population. Totally. What do you think are some of the steps that we can take, like, as individuals and then maybe on, like, a... I don't know, interpersonal level and community level to remove the taboo about female health and... Mm. On an individual level, just talking about it with people... You know, start with people that you're comfortable talking about your period and, and women with and, and and move out from that inner circle. Mm-hmm. And I think individually, that's the best way. I, th- I think on a bigger level, um, having these conversations in schools and not separating the boys and the girls, having the conversation with everybody there, having a male teacher who is interested in women's health, mm-hmm. right? And just having that... Like, conversation with both men and women make would make it less taboo so sorry go ahead so I would love if you would pretend that I'm like a 12 year old girl about to know you know embark on this how would you explain it to a child like how would I explain your period yes or just yeah any, or what would you explain like what would you think is important to explain and then how would you explain oh, okay it? yeah sure uh, I think what would be important to explain is obviously what why you're gonna bleed, right? And this would probably be told a little earlier, maybe like ten. Like okay. you're gonna be bleeding, and mm. explain you're not dying. There's nothing hurt. Like this is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think something really important that I would want to explain is that it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. There's and and this is the really hard part to communicate because 
my mom told me it wasn't a bad thing, but she also shut the door and whispered about it. Yeah. Right? So now it's about, like, why are we whispering about it? Well, my brothers are out there. Oh, I can't talk to men about it. You know, like, mm. like or we were whispering behind a closed door. So subconsciously, this is a bad thing that right. needs to be hidden. And she's saying, congrats, you're a woman now. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm a woman yeah. now. <laughs> and there's, there is just shame. There is, you know, we're whispering, we're hiding, we're covering, we're mm-hmm. sneaking to pads and tampons. We don't, t- because there's shame. And th- that shame is like, oh, it's a, sh- we, we are shamed to be women. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the first thing that yeah. I would change is I wouldn't whisper about it. I wouldn't not talk. I would talk about it in front of so their dad or their brother if they were there to show that, nope, this isn't shameful. This is actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. And I would explain to them how, you know, how you have this fluctuating hormones and how it's a good thing when you're on your period because testosterone's high. And that means you get to crush your workouts. And that, you know, that means that you get to have an awesome day on the field or the court or whatever sport they might be playing. Or maybe they'll be really cognitively focused that week, you know, like mm-hmm. and you're going to have a great week in school. And like, in and I would help. That's what I would do first. There's no shame, and it's a good thing. And I would do it in front of whoever was there. And, uh, yeah, I think explaining your period, you also have to explain sex. And so, <laughs> because, like, why, you know, like, those things kind of go together. Mm-hmm. And, like, understanding, like, I think it's so important for people to know why, thing, why things are the way they are. Just, mm-hmm. like, it's important for my clients to know why they're doing what I'm giving them to do. Like, if you know the why behind it, you're going to be more motivated to do it. Yes, yeah. Right? So if they know the why behind their period, they're going to understand it better and they're going to be more okay with it. Mm-hmm. I myself have never explained sex to, like, a 10-year-old, so yeah. I don't know how I would do that. <laughs> yeah. This <laughs> is like the, re- you know, I actually default to my boyfriend to that one because he explains it to fifth graders all the time. <laughs> I don't, I don't Has know. Has he done it this year yet? Uh, no, they, it's a spring, it's a spring lesson. So they always do it in the okay. spring and they go over their flash program. Oh, nice. Yeah. Who develops the flash program? Do you know? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. a state thing or county? No, because it, it's just his school that oh, implements okay. it. Um, because so individual school districts maybe. I think so because his, it's, it's just something that his school does. It's, mm-hmm. Yeah, he loves his school district. It's pretty good. That is good. Yeah. Um, what's your opinion about, I've been seeing a lot about like tampons and pads. Mm-hmm. I don't use, I don't bleed that much mm-hmm. just because I'm on the IUD. So I do okay. bleed, but yeah. not enough to like need a uh-huh. tampon or anything but I've been seeing a lot about like how toxic tampons and mm-hmm. pads are so yeah you can find non-toxic ones like mm-hmm. unscented you know non-toxic tampons but you're essentially you're stuffing cotton up your vagina yeah right and I personally hate that feeling yeah of like something kind of being up there like in the filling with blood like it doesn't it's not comfortable yeah yeah but um there are other options, like mm. so things like the Diva Cup, you mm-hmm. know. But again, that's plastic that we're putting up there. Yeah. And so you can, but you can find some ones that are really like non-plastic, like environmentally friendly, like ones to use. Okay. Um, but yeah, there are also just non-toxic tampons that you can find, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just cotton that you're putting up there. Yeah. Which again, is it? It's not really ideal. Yeah. Um, but it. You know, you can find some non-toxic ones that are better than, like, the really scented 
chemically ones. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if, if cotton up there is uncomfortable, you can use things like the Diva Cup or, mm-hmm. um, I forget the brand of mine that, that I like. It's thinner than the Diva Cup. Okay. I don't know if you've seen the Diva Cup, but the walls are really thick. I've seen one, one of my friends has, it's, I don't know what it is. It's just like, I think it's similar where it's, it's a like cup. a cup that you yeah. put up and then mm-hmm. it like collects it and then you wash it and then you boil it like to get rid of, Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I'm a big fan of those. Yeah. Because, uh, especially the one that I, it's just thin. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Diva Cup was a really thick lining, so it's just, like, not comfortable, pops out. Yeah. And you have to find one that fits you. Yes. It's I'm, good that there's all those uh, options th- out those are now. new. Yeah, yeah that's those really are popular super, now. Those are super new, and it's nice that you don't have to change it every couple of hours. So mm-hmm. for people who do Ironman events or backpacking yeah. or, you know, like, a big, long you know, adventure during the day and when you think, oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, I know when I've, I've been on my period during a race and I just let myself bleed. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're like, well, I don't want to, yeah. I know I'm not, I'm not wasting my time. Yeah. Like changing a tampon. Like every I gotta go. Hours, like, yeah. oh, I'm trying to win this thing. And you know what? Y'all can deal with the blood. Yeah. It's fine. It's not, I wash my clothes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what would, I always ponder like, what did our ancestors do with Right, I mean, do you know, I so I mean, our aunt, like, I I don't know too far back. Yeah. I know that like two hundred years ago, uh, you just didn't go out in public. Yeah, and you just stay Same at home. Inside. You just stay home, and then once a month, you would wash your sheets. You would just bleed on your sheets, and then you'd wash them, and then yeah, if you didn't get you know your period that month, <laughs> like it's a pretty bad thing. But you would know that like, oh my sheets don't have any blood in it. Oh no, like I must be pregnant. Yeah. But, that we can't really hide away for days, you know, and just yeah. like, you know, stay in So hiding. interesting. So much of our, I bet so much of how females were, are treated in society stems from the cycle. Totally. A lot of it. Oh. Definitely. Yes. Does. Yes. Like go, like stay in for, you know, while you're doing this, you need to be hidden. Yeah. Right. It's shameful. It's shameful. And that is in us, like the collective female... Yes. You know, how females have been treated. Yes. It gets passed down. It gets yeah. passed down. And, like, it's slowly going away. Yeah. But we still feel it. Yeah. And I know I felt it in puberty. And mm-hmm. as a young adult, I felt it. And I, I couldn't name it. Yeah. But, like, looking back, I can name it now and be like, yeah, like, I you felt. You sense that. I, I, I remember telling my mom, this isn't fair. Like, I wish yeah. I was a boy. Yeah. You know? But, you know, I was reading the book, uh, Eckhart Tolle, who's, like, a very spiritual teacher, mm-hmm. has a book called uh, The Power of Now. And oh, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's a section on it where he's talking about the female mm-hmm. and how powerful, how females are closer to enlightenment already than men. And our cycle, the week before we bleed, is, like, the most powerful time as a fem- in the female cycle mm-hmm. because that's when we have, like, this power, but that's also when a lot of that collective consciousness of past female trauma oh, comes into our system. And we get flooded with this, you know, these feelings. And that's why some people have irritabil- irritability and, like, sadness and pain. We're feeling that collective consciousness, but that's also a time where you can, like, take your power... Right. And understand and, like, overcome that. Totally. So I love that he That's cool. had a whole section yeah. about that. That's awesome. thinking about it a different way. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think, I don't know 
how to change the, you know, like you were saying, like the whole, like, how do we change this narrative? Um, I've actually talked with my boyfriend and with a couple other, um, like startup people who have done a couple other startups to help like periods become less taboo. Mm. I was working with Project Untaboo and it's a company, uh, that is working to get, um, Periods become less taboo. Mm-hmm. So it's Project Untaboo. And I actually did a couple of, like, Instagram lives for them and I wrote an article for them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, and they're based in Seattle. That's um, cool. Yeah. Um, and so their mission is to make periods less taboo. Mm-hmm. And so, like, just companies like that, you know, yeah. are are starting to come up and, like, Luna Endurance and, like, other, you know, Days for Girls that we're going to talk about. So, like, yeah. there are companies that are, com- are, that are on the up and coming that I think are going to do some great things. Yes, I think yeah. it's a great time to be alive for yeah. many reasons, and that one is, yeah, you're seeing all these laws trying to be passed to make no taxes on... The pink tax. Yeah, right? And yes. then having just, in bathrooms, like, products, even if they're the bad products, yeah. at least they're available and, right. you know, building that... For free. For free, which for it free. should be. Yes. Not the ones that you have to use a quarter that nobody has. <laughs> you're like, anybody have a quarter? <laughs> I've been reading this book called Invisible Women, mm-hmm. uh, Data Bias in a World Designed for Men, and Ooh. it is phenomenal and infuriating at the same time. What are the main things you've been learning about? Basically, she goes, the author goes over, and she she goes over just, like, everything in the world that has been designed for men that you wouldn't expect it to be, mm-hmm. like snow plowing. Or medicine, or you know, just like so. For example, bathrooms. This made me, this is what made me think of it was bathrooms are are not um, equitable. So basically, when you would think, well, how are public restrooms? That doesn't make sense. Like, yeah. how in the world is that like not fair for women? Well, basically, when you're designing designing a public restroom, the city planners and people designing say just equal square footage to each. But the problem with that is that then there's only room for the same amount of stalls in each. And then men get the same amount of urinals. So now men have double the places to go to the restroom than women do. Women are more likely to have children with them going to the bathroom. Yeah. Women are more likely uh, to escort the elderly to the bathroom. And women are more likely to be elderly and are slower going to the bathroom. And women have periods and that takes a little bit of time to to deal with, you know, if you're changing a pad or tampon. Yeah. So you have like... All these reasons why women need more space in the, in, restroom. The, in the restroom, yet they're divided equally square footage, and then men have double the ways to go, yeah. the amount of stalls, urinals, to go to the bathroom. So you always, you know, so so you see this crazy long line, yeah. classic long line at the women's restroom, mm-hmm. no line in the men's, because, and then women are, women get blamed, like, well, women just take so long in the bathroom. <laughs> it's just like, um, you have the luxury of, like, having a drink during intermission. Yeah. You know, like, we have to go rush to the, the bathroom yeah. and stand in line mm-hmm. because you... Whoever designed these bathrooms did a terrible job. Wow. So, yeah, the book goes over things like that. And, like, that blew my mind. Snow plowing blew my mind. Tra- public trans- transportation blew my mind. Mm. Just, I mean, she goes over, and it, she's located in Europe. And so she goes over, like, the whole world. So she goes over developed countries and underdeveloped countries. And, like, it's really good. All of these things that... Yeah. Stem in all different levels of our culture. Yeah. And it's like the snow plowing one is just crazy because you're like, how in the world could snow yeah. plowing be biased? What is that? Basically, they, they plow, most cities will plow main roads first mm-hmm. and then do side roads. But studies show that women, 
use the side roads way more and have multiple stops in their commutes. So if women are commuting to work, they would first stop at the daycare. Then they're going to go to work. Then on the way home, they're going to stop off at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to go home. Whereas, like, men are just, like, home to work to home. And it's, like, one directional. Mm-hmm. Where women are, like, multiple stops. Yeah. And so they found that... Uh, you know, by snow plowing the main roads first, their healthcare costs were going up because women were also women are poorer than men. And so they take most, most women take public transit, like just talking worldwide, yeah. right? The majority of people who take public transit are women because they're not, they don't have as much money as men who take cars. Mm-hmm. And so we're taking public transit and they're not snow plowing the side roads and they're icy and women fall and get injured and go to the hospital. So actually healthcare costs are higher. So they found that when they snow plowed the side roads first, GDP went up. <laughs> women were buying more stuff at the store and healthcare costs went down. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And the men could go to work just fine. Yeah. Because it's like a much easier road to traverse. Oh, my gosh. So it was like your GDP could go up and healthcare costs could go down if you snowplow side roads first. But no, and it's not like these people are malicious. And she talks about this in the book. Yeah. It's just, it wasn't even a thought. It wasn't even a thought. To do the side roads first. Because they thought, well, what would I want? The main roads. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. So I highly recommend that book. Invisible Woman. Invisible Woman, Data Bias and World Design for Men. Okay. So you've done the courses you've done in, like, female health. You did Stacey Sims, like, her first course. And then are you doing her second one or have yeah. you done it? Yeah, now? no, I've done her. Her second one is on menopause. Okay. So the first one was, was her big course that was two months long. The second one is just one month long on menopause. Okay. When yeah. did you finish that one? Um... In December. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Not, not, so that, not too long no, ago. No, not too long ago. Because yeah. last time we talked, you were going to do it. Oh, okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. I fin- yes, yes. So I will... Yeah, last time we talked in the summer, I was going to do it, and I already finished it. Nice. Yeah. But you get, like, access to the videos for a whole year, so I get to go rewatch them and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, the course was amazing. I would highly recommend Dr. Sims and her book for and all of her courses. They're phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that she will ever have... Like, people like that, they're so knowledgeable. Do you think they will ever set it up so you can be, like, a teacher of her stuff? Um, so, that, I think this is the start of her doing that, right? This is, because she just, like, started, she wrote her book Roar a few years ago, but then, like, two years ago is when she first even just got onto Instagram. And she's obviously blown up. And then then last year was her first time launching this course. Oh, wow. She's really blown up fast then. Yes. So, like, I took her course. I was the first cohort. Like, the first course to take it. Yeah. So, like, she's starting her education career. You know, she's done her... She has dedicated her career to research the last 25 years. Now she's now she's going into education. Sweet. So this is just the beginning. I'm yeah. so yeah, you I don't know where she's going with it, but I know this is just the beginning of her educational career. Mhm. Yeah. That's so empowering. Yeah. I love it. I think you'd be so good at, you know, well you already are like sharing the knowledge. Yeah, thanks. But it's so empowering and yeah. like such an important thing that can really change, like, so many people's lives. Yeah. I would love... I've actually talked to my boyfriend about, like, going into his school yeah. and, like, teaching the kids there. But I would need to, like, just talk... Get a curriculum, uh, like I said, for, like, 10 to 12-year-olds. Yeah. And and learn... You know, I, I, I'm not really an expert. Like, I'm great at teaching adults, but I'm not really an expert in, like, how do I... Uh, 
teach things at a level that they'll understand. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what 10, 12 year olds can understand. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> me either. So I would need to create some <laughs> curriculum. My boyfriend could probably help me with it. Yes. Um, and then present it to the principals and see if I could teach it there. But we've talked about it. I think that's so good. Yeah. Even just doing like a optional, you know, like course that the parents or teachers can like promote and then they can opt in yeah opt oh, in totally. or something totally using the correct verbiage for that age group yeah, i don't know either how you would but yeah I don't. but i would also <laughs> like part of my like business plans and dreams is to have like um quarterly seminars mm. and i would love to you know just like rent out a room in a hotel like yes. those conference rooms and just like have like you know, 30 women in menopause come and let me teach you how to, like, combat menopause. Yeah. And, like, do that. And, like, same with, like, cycling your cycle and puberty. Like, come with your parents and your kids and your athlete, you know. Like, I would love to do some sort of, like, quarterly um, seminars and educate people. Yes. I see it in the future. I love that. And that's that's part of, like, my dreams. Yeah. It will for sure happen. So what, uh, what is Days for Girls? So Days for Girls actually won the .org of the year. They were named the organization of the year in the U.S. Wow. And so uh, I was like, oh, what is this Days for Girls? So I looked into it, and they actually um, are this organization that gets uh, period product to women in rural areas and underdeveloped countries who who do have to stay at home when they're on their period Mm. because they don't have access to period products. And so they literally, girls can't go to school Women can't go to work, mm-hmm. and so they just it helps get period period products to them for free, so that they can get an education, and then they can get paid, and they can live their lives. Yeah. And so uh, I was reading about this, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is all I'm all about this. And so um, Luna Endurance actually is going to be donating every month to Days for Girls mm-hmm. in 2021. This month, yeah. Yay! So, yeah, I'm super excited about it. Um, it's an organization I really believe in, and they do a phenomenal job, and it's right up my, the... It's right up Luna Endurance's alley of, like, we believe in this, and it's just helping empower women to, you know, be on their period and get educated. Yeah, and Luna Endurance is your business. Yes, yes. I started Luna Endurance uh, last year, and uh, I think last time we talked, I didn't have... Uh, an Instagram, but I have an Instagram now. Yeah. Just it's just super just Luna Endurance, super simple. Yeah. And of course my website is still up and running. And what do you do with your businesses? Like what services are you offering? Yeah, so I offer um cycling your period cycle to your workouts into your nutrition. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh online coaching. So I do, you know, we'll meet like bi-weekly or once a month, depending on where you're at. And uh, I post all of your workouts based on where you are in your period. So people will track their period on an app called Fitter Woman. Mm -hmm. And then as a coach, I get to see where you're at in your period. I can write workouts based on that phase. Mm -hmm. It's free for the athlete. So they don't have to pay for anything. They just add me as their coach. On Fitter Woman? On Fitter Woman. Okay. Yeah. So so I have like, you know, 20 people and I can see where everyone cycles at Mm -hmm. on my end. And it's free for them. And then I can write their workouts for them based off where they're at in their cycle. So obviously I specialize in like marathon and Ironman training. But I also have a ton of gen pop Mm -hmm. and just people looking for health and fitness. Yeah. Um, and then I help with menopause as well. So I'll do menopause coaching and just do, yeah, again, just posting, giving them workouts based off of where they are in menopause, helping them figure out what adaptogens to use, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then I also do one-on-one virtual or in-person training. 
Okay. Nice. And you work with a bunch of, like, triathletes and... Yes. Are you still tailoring towards that a lot? Yep. I still have, yeah, yeah. Tons of Ironman athletes and just first-time runners, too. I get a lot of, I get a lot of first-time half, you know, marathon people. But, yeah, a lot of, a lot of just triathletes and Ironman athletes. That's so good. Yeah. Do you yeah. see... You know, this is definitely, like, your passion and your purpose. You will probably just keep continuing learning more about female health, or do you, are you interested in any other aspects? Uh, no. This is where I'm at. I mean, maybe something changes in the future I don't know yeah. about, but for now, like, I just, I, I honestly still feel like I've just scratched the surface. Yeah. I honestly still, I'm like, there's still so much more to learn, and so much more, like, I have learned that I need to relearn and mm-hmm. just keep learning, because yeah. I'm just like, no, like, this is... I need more. <laughs> I know. I think you posted something here, right, where it's, like, at the chart where it's, like, when you first learn something, you think you know so much. Yes. And then once you reach this point, you realize, I don't know anything. Yes. Like, there's, like, yes. so much knowledge about this. Yes. And, yeah, you reach, when you have, just like, barely any knowledge, you're, like, oh, my God, I'm so smart. But then the more knowledge you get, you're, like, oh, my gosh, I'm not smart. <laughs> yeah. You're, like, I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything this. anymore. And, yeah. I love that. That's so good. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. I love learning about all of this stuff, and I think it's so powerful to just promote more, you know, female health, and I think that's the way that we can create removing the taboo in our own environment, ourselves, and then with the people we're sharing knowledge with and information with. And I think that, for me, you've really helped me so much with my individual journey, and then also just, you know, empowering me as a coach and a trainer to really talk about those things with your clients. And I think also... That it's awkward if you make it awkward, the conversation. Just like your mom putting you in that room. Yes. Her putting you in that room made it awkward. If me with my client has to go into a small room to chat about it versus being on the gym floor saying, you know, how was your period last week? Or what phase are you in your cycle? Uh, How's your energy level feeling today regarding that? Totally. That needs to happen. And that shift makes them feel, oh, this is comfortable. This is an okay thing to talk about. Totally. You're setting the precedent. You are setting the stage of, like, this is a normal thing to talk about that you don't have to hide from me. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yes, and it's not. Female health is so important, yes. and we have so much power in us that we can tap into. Yeah, love it. I always love talking with you. I feel like we just, like, have such great energy together and just, like, bounce off each other. I, I love being on your podcast. Yay, great. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs>